Faith Times Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday of Easter for the week of April 30th, 2023. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited based off of what we talked about last week and how it's going to flow into this week and continuing in this Easter season. I think this is such an important season that we give so much highlight to on the first Sunday And the church really suffers from the aspect that it really doesn't do a good enough job of recognizing how amazing this season really is. We went through Lent and how long and thought-provoking that is. Why can't we continue this celebration and really keep this celebration going? And in those celebrations, it allows us to think critically on where we're at, where we're going, And I think that's some of the beauty of where we're at in this part of the church year. So when you look back to last week's question, which was, are we and or the church in a stage of metamorphosis? It was quite interesting hearing back from people saying, we should be if we aren't. And I really liked the one quote that I had where one loyal listener said, mom and dad's church just doesn't cut it anymore. And I think that's one of the things as a church we really do struggle with. We really struggle, and we've talked about before how it's hard to let go of all this tradition, and yet that's what the church is needing to do. We need to continue to move and transform and be transformed and allow God to transform us. We aren't the same people that we were 10 years ago. Why should the church be the same? And I think that's one of the things where we're kind of caught in between a rock and a hard place because the church is looked at as this historical place, this historical figure. And I think it's one of the things that as a church community, as a broad church community, we probably need to break some of the shackles of and really show that the church can be and is very relevant to who we are today. And it is continuing to transform and allowing itself to be transformed. But there's a lot to get into this week, so let's just jump right into it. The first reading this week is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This is continuing and is that last section of what we've been hearing out of Acts as Peter continues to do this pontificating and this sermon. But now we're getting the people have heard this sermon, they have digested it, and now they're wanting to take grasp of it. They're devoting themselves. They're breaking bread and doing prayers. They're letting the awe of what God is doing and the works of what they're seeing others being able to do, recognizing how God is working in and through them, selling their possessions, going day by day, recognizing that God is the one providing all of what they need day to day instead of relying on themselves, recognizing that God will continue to provide. The psalm this week is the most familiar psalm that all of us have. Psalm 23, all six verses of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and the staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. As we are in this Good Shepherd Sunday, 
this recognition of how we are still being led by a shepherd and that we are still being led by something greater than ourselves, recognizing that we then need to be putting down things. And there's going to be times it's scary. There's going to be times it's hard. There's going to be times where we're uneasy. And that's where we lean into that relationship of the shepherd. And that leads beautifully into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 25. This is talking about in that following of Christ. There are going to be times where it is difficult. It is hard. There are times that we're questioning, why are we going through this suffering? Why are we going through this abuse and all these different things of following? And we sometimes get so focused in on the narrow picture that we miss the broader picture. But again, the last verse is really where the whole good shepherd comes in. For you are going astray like sheep, But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls and how the shepherd is still looking out for your best interest. You need to continue to follow the shepherd. The gospel text this week is out of John chapter 10, the first 10 verses of it this year for Good Shepherd Sunday. This is an argument that Caroline Lewis made this week, especially as she has written one of the best commentaries on the gospel of John. And she states that this chapter here should not be separated from chapter 9, which is especially the man born blind that we talked about a few weeks ago. But this is that continuation of very truly, I tell you, anyone who enters the sheepfold by the gate or by the door, but climbs in another way is a thief or a bandit. And the one who enters the gate or door is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and they lead. And so this idea of how sometimes sheep can even follow a stranger for a while, but when they speak to the sheep, the sheep will not listen. They're tuned in to the shepherd. And so we get in verse 7, Jesus saying to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who enter before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved, and whoever comes in and goes out and find pasture. And the thief only comes in to steal and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. A very different idea and concept of how those come together. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plugs full. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some perspective as we are looking at these texts. Heck, I've already brought up Caroline Lewis today, and she is one of the great people who is on the Working Preacher podcast. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library. Not only do they lay out their text beautifully week to week, but they also have their artwork, their hymns, their prayers, their liturgical colors that you can use. So if you haven't checked out this website, it's an amazing resource checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades preaching roundtable and rising publications. Their monthly newsletter talks about different upcoming events and notices for the upper Midwest and beyond. And their 
Roundtable has different voices from all over the upper Midwest and beyond talking about ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies in preaching in their weekly podcasts. If you are listening to this podcast, you'd enjoy the commentaries that are over there. The links are in the show notes on how to get subscribed to these. I'd highly, highly recommend it. The final thing I'm going to plug this week is Gustavus College's Academy of Faith, Science, and Ethics that brings high school students from around the country to learn alongside the top scientists, theologians, and activists at the intersections of faith and science. They work to find solutions to the world's most pressing challenges. They have fun. They find value in creating open and non-judgmental space for questions and community. Think of it as Bible camp for teens who are excited about science and justice. This year, they are looking to explore insects, climate change, and the interconnectedness of creation. They will do a deep dive on the growing impact of bugs on the environment, the land in which we live on, and the food that we eat and more. They'll get hands-on experience in ecology and theology, discovering how faith and science can work hand-in-hand to create a much more beautiful future for our planet. And as I've talked about before, I'm looking at being there early in this week. It's an amazing week set aside for high schoolers, looking at it for being June 17th through the 23rd, 2023 in St. Peter, Minnesota. And again, the registration information for that will be down in the show notes. I look forward to seeing many of you there. Being called and trusting the call is really difficult. Trust is something that we need, but it's also hard to come by. It's something that we intrinsically know that we need, but yet there are times when we go through hard things in life, it becomes really hard to do. This last week, I was looking at some different science of trust. And there's a lot of different places where you can go with that, especially when you get into like marriage types of information. But I found a really interesting TEDx conversation from Annie Bolker Reddig, who talked about there's three main points that she thinks to trust. Trust is difficult. Trust is a dynamic thing, but trust is also indispensable. And she gets into near the end of her talk talking about how trust is essential and it's taking that leap of faith, if you want to put it that way, into trust. It means taking something that is hard for us to do, but it's essential because if we expect the worst in others, we are less able to recognize what others are needing and thus become more distrustful because we don't ever feel like we're helping others and others aren't helping us. And it becomes to a point where we don't trust. And yet, as we look into psychology and as we look into how the brain works, we see that our brain rewards us for being trustworthy. And in simple examples, even when you look at how basic economics works within how money flows through an economy, Typically, $1 goes through five different people before it returns back into the bank, per se, thus allowing things to grow. So when there is trust and we're exchanging these funds, it allows everybody to actually benefit if the trust can continue moving between us. 
what I found really interesting as I was playing around and thinking about this is I think we're the ones who struggle with trust. And that's going to be my hypothesis that I have today because as we dig into this a little bit further, I think we'll find that we're the ones who are struggling with trust. And I think God created our world to trust each other. It's us who struggle with it. Is this a remnant of our fallen state? Potentially. But let me give you some examples. Vampire bats. Vampire bats use hematophagy, which means they only feed on blood to live. And how vampire bats do it is that they'll bite and then lick the blood. Unlike what we've been told with vampires our whole lives in all these different historic, well, in all these fantasy novels, they do not suck your blood. Instead, they more lick the blood. The thing is, is for a vampire bat to live, at most it can go is two days without blood. And usually it likes getting blood every day. They are only successful in these blood hunts 30% of the time. So reciprocal altruism is something that has been observed within the female species of vampire bats which means that they recognize bats that they've shared blood with before and only share their blood if they've been successful with them. So typically this is family relatives or current or former roostmates that they will share some of what they've eaten through regurgitation for their compadre to be able to survive. Figuring that at some point they're going to be unsuccessful and their friend will share blood with them in order that they would survive. There is a built-in trust that is necessary in order for this system to work. And so it does. They have their group of bats that they trust and thus this reciprocal altruism is successful. I think another one that might be a little easier for us to understand, especially that it's made the silver screen before, is looking at penguins. And specifically, I'm going to focus more on emperor penguins, but as I was digging into my research, multiple different types of penguins have similar types of dynamics, but we're going to focus on emperor penguins. If we look at how their relationships are, they're seen as more of a monogamous type of species overall. And these penguins make this huge journey to then go and look for a mate. And in looking for a mate, they, depending on the species, not as much emperors, but they will present a stone and then build a nest together. But in their ritual of coming together... There is a point that the female will lay an egg, and then there is the transfer over within the emperors to the male, that the male will hold the egg for two months. As the female goes back and trudges the 60 to 70 miles to the ice edge to go fishing to get food for her to survive along with the young, to come back and feed the young, to go back out yet again and feed 
and then come back and take over more of the parenting duties. This brings a whole different element of trust into this relationship. There's trust from the male's perspective that the female will come back as the male is dealing with this young penguin, trying to shield it from the ice cold that Antarctica provides. The female trusting that the male is going to be doing this. And sometimes they're unsuccessful. And how when they are unsuccessful and the male has something happens where the egg gets too cold and the embryo dies, how they will mourn together, how they are in a long distance relationship raising their young in a very different way than what we would typically think, but it's all built on trust. The male trusting that the female is going to figure out ways not only to feed, but to survive and find them again. Because there will be thousands of these emperor penguins all huddled together and they're calling and looking for each other. Listening for that still small voice of the unique call that each of them has to be able to be reunited. For the female to be able to see the young. For the male to recognize that it's going to be okay. That this young is going to survive. This trust that is taken, the lineup of them trying to figure it out. And heck, even at the beginning of the season, the lineup of them trying to find the mate that they had last year. The idea that they're going to come back and we're going to be able to repeat this back again. The trust that that takes is tremendous. The trust that it takes that each party is going to fulfill the role that has been predetermined to them, to be able to fulfill what is placed in front of them, how they are feeling led, to put it into human terms, to raise this young penguin, for the female vampire bats to make sure that they're continuing to thrive even if there's times where one is having difficulty. The trust that is needed. Jesus is talking about, I am the gate, like a door to the sheep. And this idea of how I don't want you sneaking in. I want you to be able to recognize and hear my voice and call just like penguins will do. That they're not just looking for anybody, they're looking for that specific somebody. That you will hear the voice and it will matter to you and you will follow. That the penguins are listening for that voice and they trust when they hear it that then I need to go and find that because that is where my family is. That is where my mate and my chick are. That vampire bat's going out and having the ability to trust that if I am unsuccessful with what I am trying to do in hunting, tonight, that there are other people who I trust that will be able to find something and will be able to share in that feast together. That we're all going to be okay. We're going to communicate and talk about it and we're going to be better. The more and more we start looking outside of our human nature, the more and more we see the trust that is dependent out in nature. Nature depends on trusting itself to know what is coming next. It's us humans that struggle with this idea of trust, where we get in our own head and feel like we have to do it all on our own, or we become unobservant of how we can help. 
how we can trust the people around us to be able to help. As I think about it from a climate perspective, I wonder if that's partially why it's sometimes hard to communicate the urgency at which we need to be working on the environment is because suddenly it feels like the world around us we can't trust. And there's enough other things within our human realm that we have a difficult time trusting to add in the environment is turning on us also makes it hard because we are hardwired to trust. If penguins can go months with anticipation, wait for each other and trust that their mate will come back to help provide that that female will come back a second time so that they are able to take care of the young so the male can go out and get some much-needed food after four months of waiting and taking care of the young. Why can't we? Jesus saying, I'm trying to say you don't need to sneak in the back gate. I want you to come in the front door. I want you to be able to see my face and that I greet you and that you know my voice when I'm trying to guide you, just like the 23rd Psalm says, just like when in Acts, these young Christians, these newly formed Christians are trying to say, I am going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to trust day to day, praising God for the blessings of how God is leading me. To First Peter, where there are difficult times when we put our trust in something greater than ourselves that allows us to trust more fully others because we trust something greater than ourselves. I think we hear this message and we get into this Easter celebration and we don't think about what the responsibility is for us. We don't think about the responsibility of if Christ did what Christ did for our sake, what does that mean for us? More than we're saved. Well, because you're saved, what does that mean on how we walk our lives differently and move in a way that is recognizable that something is different about us? I think that's a hard question. How do we take this trust that we wrestle with and find ways to do it, even when it's hard? How do we find ways to trust even when it's hard? That's our question this week, because that is who we are designed to be. We're designed to trust each other. We are designed to work together with each other and trust each other. And in a world today that wrestles with that idea that loves bringing anything that can potentially divide us into the equation. An example of anywhere you're at in the world, look at the local politics and how easy it is for us to draw lines and say, I don't trust you if you're on that side of the line. But yet, that's not how we're designed. We're not designed to be untrustworthy. We aren't designed to not trust people. And the problem is, is when we don't trust people, we struggle. Our economy, our world struggles because we are meant to work together. And when we can't trust others, like we talked about that Professor Annie Brokler Redding said, it makes us more likely to continue to distrust and continue to get to the point where it's beyond fixing. 
We can't recognize when other people are needing help or hurt. Who knew that trust was so important? God did. God wants us to enter that gate so that God can show the trust that God wants to have with us. That we can have in God. For us to recognize that we're not alone. For us to recognize that there's a group of people working together toward a similar common goal instead of drawing lines to divide us. Finding ways to work together. And realizing that when doing that, everyone benefits. People survive. Bats survive. Young survive and grow. And learn from the trust. Learn to work together. Male penguins have to gather together on those cold days and work together to figure out how they're going to survive. Females work together to be able to not only once but twice get back to where the males are. Not only just the relationship trust, but the trust within the larger group that all of them have. I think there's a lot here for us to be learning. As human beings in the 21st century, we have a lot to be learning from our non-human neighbors. Trust is a major component of our faith. And we need to, as a community, as a world, actively engage it. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.